Welcome back to our series, The Problem of God, where we are dealing with some of life's most difficult questions regarding the Christian faith. Today, we're going to deal with the existence of God. How do we know that God really even exists? Well, Pastor Mark Clark says this, the debate about the existence of God centers around the question of evidence. So today, we're going to examine some of the evidence. The story I'm about to tell you regarding evidence is not one that I'm most proud of as a pastor or as a brother, but nonetheless, we are real people pursuing real freedom. It's just us, so I'm gonna share this with you. As kids, my brother Kenny and I, we loved to go to the ice cream stop shop. We would go to Dairy Queen, and we would love to get ice cream in the summer. One of the things I remember about going to Dairy Queen and getting ice cream is that there were probably a thousand different things that a 10 and an eight-year-old boy could do with these little plastic spoons. I remember one day taking these spoons, and it wasn't long before Kenny and I went out into the alley beside our grandmother's house, and we started to load these spoons with little pebbles and use them as a slingshot. They just worked perfect to sling these little stones. Well, mom comes outside of the door and she said, boys, you better knock that off because somebody's gonna get hurt. She goes back in the house, I look at Kenny, he looks at me, we roll our eyes and say, what does she know? What kind of evidence does she have that we are going to get hurt? So we continue playing. I remember reaching down and loading up one of these spoons into my, one of these rocks into my slingshot spoon. And just about the time I looked up, wham, this pebble hits me right in the top of my lip. Blood begins gushing out. My anger took over, and without a thought, I rushed my brother, I punched him straight in the face, and now his nose is bleeding profusely. Mom comes out the side, and as the older brother, that didn't end so well for me. Now, we had our evidence. Mom was right. Mom's always right. But we just didn't quite believe it until we experienced it for ourselves. We don't always necessarily get the evidence that we want through experience, but we do have some evidences that we can examine regarding the existence of God. So let's get into it today. 18th century philosopher Immanuel Kant offered two world perspectives to basic proofs for the existence of God. He said that it is the moral law within and the starry host above. In other words, he said, if you want to know the existence of God, all you have to do is look at people and look at the universe or the cosmos. Let's look at evidence number one, morality. Where does that internal instinct for fairness come from? Where, where did we get this notion of right and wrong? Certainly, we didn't get it from Darwin's theory of evolution because that theory says that survival of the fittest is what makes the generations go on and on. And if you're stronger, then you're going to overcome and weakness is going to subside. And so if you're strong, you can do what is right or what's wrong. Just make sure you eradicate that which is weak. There's no fairness in the survival of the fittest. It's very unfair, actually, because the strong continues to take from the weak. But perhaps, just maybe, we were born with a sense of fairness, of right and wrong. All you have to do is observe some kindergartners that play on the playground. 
If Johnny goes down the slide twice, then Susie feels like, well, it's my turn. I should get to go down the slide as well. Morality is seen in children as something that we don't even necessarily have to teach them. They just know. In fact, if you take a child and you tell them, make sure you only take two cookies, and then you find out that they've taken four or five, a little child will simply lie to cover it up. It is a brokenness of their morality, but they know that they have done wrong. You don't have to teach them that they've done wrong. They know it. You have to teach them how to do right, of course, but morality is something that we seem to be hardwired with. You know, even grown-ups have this same appeal. We say things a little more sophisticated. We say things like, well, how would you feel if you were in my shoes? You see, it's the turning of the tables that we use logic to try to convince somebody maybe to treat us differently or to act or to, to approach life differently. You see, this is a moral code, almost like an unwritten set of rules that we all play by. But who told us this? And when did they tell us? Could it be that our Creator hardwired us, it's in our DNA, that there is some kind of internal evidence of a moral lawgiver. I got another example I want to share with you, and that is that our youth pastor Noah and I were uh, shopping one day. This is a couple years ago. We were trying to outfit a room in the church with some new furniture. And of course, where does every millennial go for furniture? They go to Ikea. And if you've been to Ikea, you know that the lines are very long at Ikea. And we had a pretty large purchase, and we were trying to hurry to get back so that we could assemble this furniture. So I concocted a plan. I said, Noah, you stand in that line, and I'll stand in this line, and whichever one gets to the cash register first, we'll jump to the other line and we'll simply check out. We were going along, pacing just fine, and as soon as his line got a little bit closer than mine, I pulled my cart and I merged over into his line, and behind him was standing this lady who said, no, 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 that's not fair. I chose this line because it wasn't going as slow as your line. Now, in my humanity, I wanted to look at her and say, lady, I strategized better than you. I just picked the better line. I had multiple people helping me to make sure that I got through the line faster. But then, of course, I realized I'm a pastor. I'm standing there with our youth pastor. I have to set a good example. And so I really, in my heart, knew that she was right. It was not really fair the way I was operating with this kind of a strategy. And so in a split second, I had a decision to make. Am I just going to assert my own rights and demand that I'm going to go through the line? I could have. I could have overpowered and just gone through the line. But I chose instead to defer, and I said, well, you know what? Why don't you just go ahead and go in front of us? Well, that just calmed the debate. She went. She took me up on it. She went through the line, and as she was checking out, she looked over and she said, hey, I just want to thank you for letting me go before you because my husband, who's on oxygen, has been in the car a little bit too long, and I need to get back to him. Wow, can you imagine the ton of bricks that I felt like, man, that was not very cool on my end to try to hold this lady up. But there is inside this internal moral compass that I believe we are all hardwired with. Romans 2 and 14 says this, for when Gentiles, now this is referring to unbelievers. Gentiles is like people who don't believe in God. For when Gentiles who do not have the law or the Bible, the laws of God, by nature do the things in the law, then, the, then these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. Verse 15, who show the work of the law, where? Written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, 
and between themselves their thoughts accusing or excusing them. See, standing in that line in Ikea, my thoughts were accusing me. <laughs> I knew on the inside, you know, it's better to let that person go. And I got caught trying to game the system just a little bit. But you know, this happens whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. You may be watching this today and you're not a follower of God and you know that in your heart you have a conscience. You feel bad about things when you do bad things. It's just wired in us. And the bottom line is this. All of us believe in a standard of right or wrong. Now, our standards may be different, but I think there are some general appealing things that we would all agree are wrong. Things like greed, child abuse, violence, and murder. There is no society, no culture, where that is accepted as and touted as a good thing. Those are always wrong. And then there are some things that we just universally understand as being right. Things like honesty and loyalty and fidelity and honor. We know that in the core of us, that having honor and fidelity, that's the right thing. Of course we want people to be honest with us. We want honest dealings in our transactions. Of course that's what we require. So we all have a standard and believe in right and wrong. Evidence number two, as Kant says, is the universe, the starry hosts above. He said, all you have to do is look up into the heavens and realize this must not have created itself. However, that has been a common notion and an argument against the Christian faith for many years is that the universe just created itself. There's a word contingency that is used to express the idea of something uh, beginning uh, later on, and it's contingent or dependent upon a pre-existent thing, something before it, making it. And so for uh, most of human history, atheists and ag agnostics have said that you don't need God to uh, see that there is a universe or to have the universe. In fact, the universe is a non-contingency. It is the eternal thing that in itself had no beginning. Well, because we didn't have a way to examine this, we couldn't put it under a microscope and, and see the universe as such, we just bought into this and we said, yeah, I guess that's, that's probably right. And people have gone along with that and still even to this day. But in 1929, there was a major breakthrough. A man named Edwin Hubble was looking through a telescope and he made what many would consider to be the greatest scientific discovery of the 20th century. Here's what he found. He found that the universe itself, as he's looking way out into the, 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 the vast expanse of the outer space, he found that the universe actually began to exist. He could, he could pinpoint and determine that the universe was ever expanding and it was much more vast than anyone, any scientist had ever imagined. All this traced back to an origin, he said. A massive explosion, as he called it or his theory was called the Big Bang Theory. Big Bang Theory, the theory of evolution. Well, I would, I would gladly agree that yes, there was a Big Bang that began and started the universe and it's still expanding now. Now how and what evidence do I have for that? Well. The, the book of Genesis, chapter 1, says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Look at verse 3. It says, Then God said, Let there be light. 
and there was light. That could be, and that sounds like to me, a big bang. That sounds like a grand entrance into the creative notion of this entire universe having an origin, as Hubble said. Evidence number three, divine design. It is said that there is strange and mysterious design to the cosmos, an anti-randomness that points strongly to a designer who created and crafted the world with very intentional precision and balance. Think about it, precision and balance to the design of things. You and I like order. We like things to go in a certain routine, a certain rhythm. We, we expect and we count upon order. We, in this part of the country, have uh, four seasons, and so we have uh, all the different experiences of what those seasons uh, are, are bringing to us. And if something gets off or something gets missed, then we have to make an explanation like, uh, well, it's just an Indian summer. It's going a little bit further into the fall time, but surely that cold weather is going to set in. Or uh, we, we just had an abbreviated winter this year. Maybe we didn't have as much uh, precipitation or snowfall. And so we depend on certain orders and rhythms and routine to know what season that we're even in. If you study the divine design of different things through the telescope, maybe with Hubble's discovery of the Big Bang, or even the microscope, they, they tell me that an amoeba, just one little small amoeba, has enough complex structures that it could fill 30 encyclopedia volumes of mapping all of the structures of just one. That's discovered under a microscope. Well, it's really no news to us or to those who have been exposed to the Word of God because Romans 1 and 20 says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So even invisible things, things we can't really see, but we just know are happening and going on, they speak of divine design. And you and I know it all too well. Think about the precision of our bodies that we can be having a great life. Things can be the most wonderful going on with us. We could be on vacation, having a good time. And if you have a toothache, all of a sudden, your body does not feel good. If you have a broken bone, or if there is some kind of physical limitation, then the divine design of your order, of your body is thrown off and out of balance, and you feel miserable. But what evidence could we present that would show us that this is the case, that God is really real. Well, let me turn the tables for a minute. Perhaps it's not on our shoulders to present the evidence. Maybe it's on the shoulders of the atheist and the critics to present and put forth their evidence that God doesn't exist. I was reading a story about a pastor who took a little time at a Catholic monastery to do some study and he was enjoying his, his morning uh, in his room all by himself, very quiet place. And he decided that he was going to get up and go down for breakfast. And when he left his room, the, the window was, it was closed, it was tightly locked, and he shut his door and he went down to breakfast. When he got back from breakfast, he looked and he saw that the window was open and fresh air was blowing all throughout his room. Now, he had the evidence to say that someone must have been in my room, they're airing out the room. But what if you or I were standing there and saying, 
well, we didn't see anybody in this room and you didn't see them here. And how do you know that someone was in this room? What evidence do you have? Well, that's kind of what the atheist does to the Christian or those who deny the existence of God is that they try to get us to present all kinds of evidence. I've just given you several. But let's ask them perhaps, maybe you need to give some evidence that God doesn't exist. Because there are only a couple of options, but one of them to deal with on this is that maybe it's just lucky chance that that window ended up open. It would be like the same type of chance for God not existing is if you and I sat down at a card table and you were dealt a royal flush. Wow, lucky you, you got a royal flush. And then your hand was dealt again, and you got a royal flush. You know, it only take about three deals to realize something's a little fishy about this card game. But for God not to exist, for the universe to not have that creation, would be the equivalent of you getting dealt a royal flush every single hand from now through all eternity. Just simply, statistically, doesn't add up. So in closing, I want to share with you the best proof that I can put forth for the existence of God, and that is the joy of a changed life. Yes, if you take and you examine and you look at a person who was far from God and now they're close to God, their life has been changed. It wasn't because they just willed themselves to have a better life. It wasn't because they just one day decided, you know, I'm going to live better today. No there was something on the outside that invaded them on the inside, and it was the Spirit of God that changed their life. Now, I'm not gonna use me as an example because you're probably thinking, of course, you're the pastor, you've had a changed life, but I do wanna present to you a changed life. And I wanna use the testimony of my Uncle Jimmy. At 60 years old, he was diagnosed with stage four cancer in multiple organs. From the time of diagnosis to the day of death, he had 49 days. He went very quickly. Now, he had a little bit of time to prepare. He had a little bit of time to, to set some things in order. And, and I had uh, the privilege to uh, visit him in the hospital. And here's what I shared with the family and friends gathered when I stood to officiate his funeral. I was able to share with them that in the hospital, I prayed with Jimmy and he fully gave his life over to Jesus. He was baptized that very day in that hospital room. Now, the example of this being of only God's doing is that after he died, his wife Debbie of 36 years was sharing with me and a couple other family members. As she stood and witnessed that day when he prayed and got baptized, she was right there in the room. She said, from that day on, he had so much peace. He had a resolve that he was ready to go. Come what may, he was ready to go. You see, a changed life is indisputable that only God can do that. And so I wanna invite you. Maybe you're just kind of on the fringes. You're just kind of testing the waters. And you say, Joe, I'm not quite ready yet, but but I would like to take a step of faith closer to Jesus. And today, I wanna to give you that opportunity that you would just say this to God, God, I believe, I wanna believe more, I need you to help my unbelief. Or maybe you're in a position today, you say, you know what, I'm ready, I'm all in. I want to say yes to Jesus. All you need to do is repent. You admit that you can't fix your life on your own. You believe in the gift that God gave of Jesus, His his son to come and die and to rise on the third day so that we might have eternal life and you commit your life to him. 
Or maybe you're in this third category where you're a believer, you are following Jesus, but you wanna go deeper. You wanna know how that you can give an answer to the reason when people ask you why that you follow Jesus. And so for you, all you need to say is, Lord, where you lead, I will follow. If you prayed any of those prayers today, would you just let us know? Would you email me, pastorjoe at newfc.org? Would you let us know so that we can get you connected to a growth group, so that we can give you more information about how that you can take the next step in this faith journey, and you can go public with your confession of faith, if that's what you did, by being baptized and identifying with the body of Christ. If this ministered to you, would you just share this with somebody? Would you like us on social media? And would you let us know that this has touched your life? God bless you. We love you. We'll see you real soon.